evening, and welcome to another episode of Getaway Day. I am Mason, he's Gautham, and he is Matthew. So, we're back for episode 26. I should fix that up in the title here. Episode 26 uh, of Getaway Day. It is the final week, or final full week, I guess, of the Major League Baseball season of 2021. It's been a wild one. Uh, oh, also, that is Abbott. He is, uh, he's probably our best analyst on the show. Um, he loves to join. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so it's been a crazy, crazy week. Uh, we're at the end of a crazy season. Gowie, how was your weekend? Uh, my weekend was very chaotic, but very fun. Uh, I was at a cousin's wedding in Richmond, Virginia, so very enjoyable time, but uh, suffering from some uh lack of sleep and uh some exhaustion but gonna power through uh this episode today good deal and matthew how was your weekend it was good i had family in town so that was nice to see them again for the first time in a while uh yeah pretty busy with that how was yours mason i had a great weekend i sat here pretty alone and did nothing except for watch the cardinals all weekend so and we'll get to that in a minute, so I don't want to ruin that, because I think that's going to be a fun conversation, at least for me. I know Gautham might have to turn off his camera and cry for a minute or two. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, no, it was a, an absolutely wild weekend uh, in the Major League Baseball. Uh, the AL wild card is just nuts. I can't even keep my head straight on who has the wild card spots at any given time. Um, Gowie, can you kind of walk us through that just a little bit? Yeah, so where we sit here heading into the final week, the Yankees lead the, the wild card uh, for the, with the first spot. Uh, the Red Sox are a game behind them. And then the Blue Jays are, are they another game behind? Yep, they're one game behind the Red Sox. So, yeah, three teams within two games. And um, the Yankees uh, helped themselves quite a bit this past weekend by winning all three games against the Red Sox in Boston. John Carlos Stanton put the team on his back, hit a monster home run way over the green monster last night in the eighth inning uh, to give them um, some more margin after Aaron Judge had hit a huge uh, double to, to give them a lead late in the game. So really great weekend for the Yankees uh, after they had struggled a little bit. Now they've gotten hot again, and now they have a, they have a big last week against the Blue Jays, who are right behind them, um, and then the Rays to finish things off. All right. And so, yeah, I guess, Matthew, what's kind of – have you been paying attention to that? Kind of what's your thoughts on that whole jumbled mess of a division? Every week it seems like we're talking about something different with the Yankees. Last, like, It feels like last week they were cold, then they get hot, and then they go back to cold. It's the question going forward is can they stay hot enough to hold off the Blue Jays? And Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I've thought about the entire division. Like, there's two things I know for sure about the AL East. The Rays are really good, first and foremost. And the Orioles are really, really, really bad. Like, what's the Orioles' record right now? Do you have that pulled up? 50 and 106. 100 loss, yeah. 50 and 106. Jeez, six games left. Can they crack the one ten losses? Easily. 
Will they crack the 110 losses? Most likely. All right. Considering they play Boston and Toronto. Yes. Very yeah, likely. That's a valid, that's yeah. a valid point. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that but, brings up a good point about the Red Sox, who really are they are behind the Yankees by a game, but they kind of have the easiest shot to stay in one of the two wildcard spots because of their schedule where they played Baltimore and then Washington to finish the season out. Yep, And then vice versa with the Yankees who have that game lead, but they play Toronto and Tampa to end the season. Yeah, that's, I, I would definitely rather be the uh, Red Sox here in this, mm-hmm. in this instance. Tampa Bay then, might hold the cards with who they want to play in the wild card. Because if they want to play much. the Yankees, they could let them in. I'm not sure they're going to. No. That kind of seems like a dumb idea to me. Because <laughs> if you think about it, this is also kind of Tampa's last chance to kind of gear up and play potentially October-worthy competition. Because they have, what, three against Houston and three against the Yankees? Right. So, yeah, so this is like their their last real test before getting into the five-game division series. If I were them, I would continue to keep my foot on the pedal maybe you rest a guy or two out of your rotation but like they got to rest their bullpen too so they really don't have a whole lot of options to sit anybody and they need to make sure that they do lock up that number one seed even though that's pretty likely at this point because they've got a pretty big lead on houston and the white Sox. but they can get their playoff rotation in order and and be all set for that um I guess we'll mention the the A's and the Mariners who are kind of on the periphery there of the wild card chase. They're playing each other head-to-head for the first three games this week. So if one team can sweep the other, then they could potentially be in it heading into the final weekend. But if yeah. one team and loses so- a game, I don't think either of them is going to have a chance. Yeah, and something to watch out for that is actually a possibility. Um, so there's there's ways that there could be a five-way tie for the wild card, ways for a four-way tie, and a three-way tie, and so on. A three-way tie is actually kind of plausible. Um, I can't remember the exact uh, way that it would have to work out, but um, th- th- there is a pretty decent chance of seeing a three-way tie between the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays which would then have the Red Sox deciding who they want to play, I, I believe, because they would be considered Team A because they've won the division or the head-to-heads against both of the other two. And then because Toronto has won the head-to-head against the Yankees, they get second pick, so they get to decide if they want to play at home against team or the winner of the first game which could be either baltimore or new york or not baltimore sorry boston or new york the other b the good one um or they could choose to play away against boston and then have to go and play away against new york which doesn't really seem like a good idea but that is entirely plausible and the likelihood is somewhat significant i wouldn't say it's anything over like 10 percent but it's kind of significant at this point with only six games to go. Yeah. So I'm rooting for Max Chaos as always. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. The Cardinals yeah. messed that up in the National League by not necessarily. Not necessarily. I'm pretty um, sure they've which, got that. They've got that second spot on hold. They do have that second spot on hold. Uh, 
Well, so the Cardinals are or have a magic number of one. So they just need to win one game in the next six, and they've locked it up. Where it could get interesting is with the Dodgers and the Giants, because they could potentially tie, have to play a game 163 to determine who wins the division and who wins the first wild card spot. And then the wild card team would then have to go and play St. Louis and face Wayno. And then the winner of that then goes to play the, uh, n- the number one seed. So could be crazy, even though all the teams are set basically at this point, I think the Cardinals have a 99.9% chance of making it based off of a 16 game winning streak that they've managed to rip off. Uh, two against the Reds, then three against the Mets, three against the Padres, four against the Brewers, and then this weekend they got another four-game mop of the Cubs. So I did a little uh, bit about it here midweek uh, after the 12th game that's over on our Facebook and Twitter. Uh, but, yeah, I guess I think everyone knows how I feel about that. What kind of What's you guys' thoughts on that? Just that entire run. No Indians run. Yeah, it's not 22 games yet, but we could get there. And you got six games left, right? Oh, yeah. End the season with it. I mean, it's been pretty incredible. It's longest in the the franchise. And, I mean, talking to you, obviously, I see how excited you are about it. And reminds me of... Granted, I'm weird, so... (laughs) Reminds me of watching the Indians and stuff and how exciting it is for that fan base. But, I mean, they've, like I said, they've taken a commanding hold there of that second spot and if they can keep that momentum going they could be a force yeah i guess gabby what's uh what's your thoughts other than it makes you very very sad yeah should i just should i just completely poo poo it and say oh uh 16 yeah. game winning streaks a uh statistical anomaly uh yeah go for it's it it's not uh there's not really any credit to the team to be given no i'm just kidding like they've done great and it's not like they've had a bunch of fluky wins or anything. They've played great for mo- the entire streak, really. So, I mean... Yeah. It's, like, it's, there's definitely been those weird devil magic plays. There there definitely have been, even the last two days, even. Uh, granted, one yesterday almost went against us, so that was weird. But I think, what was it, two days ago, there was the... Uh, uh, they're calling it the, the phone number double play. So it was... Uh, let's see, Rafael Ortega grounded it to Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt, instead of stepping on the bag, because he was kind of far away from it, he threw it home to Yachty, who got whoever was on third in a rundown between third and home, threw it to Arenado. Arenado tagged, so that's your 3-2-5. Arenado then turns, throws it to Tommy Edmond, who's now covering first. Edmund starts to run the runner back to second, who is trying to retreat to first, sees the guy going between second and third, throws it over to Yachty. Yachty then throws it to Harrison Bader, who had come all the way in to cover second. Harrison Bader gets it to DeYoung. They get the second tag. That's like probably the most devil magic double play I have ever seen in my life. It was fantastic. I'm so looking forward to John Boy breaking that one down. But... It was just crazy seeing all the guys like in the background, Yachty directing traffic, everyone going to cover bases that like the fact that they were heads up enough to know exactly where they should be on that particular really weird play 
just kind of sums up the entire run the Cardinals have had. Everyone is in sync. Everyone's chipping in. Literally eight guys out of the nine covered a base or were directly involved in that play. I think the one guy that wasn't was TJ McFarlane. And he was the pitcher that got it started. So it's like... But yeah. I could talk about that all day. So I'll if you guys have any other thoughts, go for it. Otherwise, we can go ahead and probably move on. Go, go Giants right. and Dodgers. <laughs> what? Go Giants and Dodgers. <laughs> which team would you rather be? Like, which, I guess... Who do I want to win, or who would I rather be? That's a be? dumb question. I, I still think the Dodgers are the better team, if that's what you're kind of asking. Uh, yeah, so I guess if, if you're the Dodgers, would you rather play... I, well, I guess neither team wants to play a one-game playoff. No one playoff, wants to play so that one-game playoff, but the Dodgers... You know what I'm trying to ask, though. I'm just not. I'm not asking it the right way. I guess, who should the Cardinals want to face more? I get because they're guaranteed to be in the one game. Well, I think the Dodgers are the better team, so I I would rather play the uh, the Giants in the one game. I was gonna say, yeah, do they have a- I I can't think about it in any other way than you have to like pass one round to get to the next round. So you want to play the worst team in the first round. Yeah, that's that's fair. So, but we'll see. We got six more days, and I think the Giants have a two-game lead, even though both the Giants and the Dodgers have 100 wins. All right. um, Let's see. A couple of other things that happened this week. Uh, Max Fried threw his second Maddox of the season. I don't really have a whole lot on that. I just thought it was impressive. Um, 98 pitches. Um, Can't remember who it was against, though. San Diego. And, San and they Diego, definitely need right? that because uh, they're they're kind of holding off the Phillies. We haven't even talked about that for the the National League East division. So they've got two and a half game lead over the Phillies, and then they play head to head for three games this week. So yeah, so so that uh, that complete game uh, Maddox was huge for that team, just resting their bullpen, which has been struggling pretty pretty hard recently. Um, I know that going into the offseason, that's what a lot of people are expecting uh, the Braves to address first is their bullpen. So saving that bullpen for a full day is probably going to be huge for that team going forward into this last week. Um, And then in typical fashion, as we've done the last couple weeks, we do have a couple of milestones that were hit. Uh we talked about the craziness of the AL East, and I said the uh, how many reallys did I use to describe how bad the Orioles were? Is it five? One hundred and six. Yeah, they're one hundred and six reallys bad. Uh, although they do have a bright spot, Cedric Mullins uh, has a thirty thirty season, thirty home runs, thirty stolen bases. Uh, the dude has been a huge bright spot for a team that has literally nothing else going for it. So, yeah, I saw that Mullins had made a goal for himself heading into the season that he wanted to have a 2020 season, and he he just completely dwarfed his goal, and that's just insane and amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah and um, I I think he probably I think he probably had it in his head that he could get the 20 steals pretty easily. I think it's the power he was probably less sure about. So him going out and hitting 30 
It's really impressive. And he's not the only 30 home run guy on his team. I think Mountcastle has uh, uh, 30 this year as well. He leads all rookies, I think, now. So, but, so there are some bright spots for the Orioles in the future here with those two. Um, you got, well, Anthony Santander, um, Grayson Rodriguez, hopefully next year, Adley Rutschman, hopefully next year. So the Orioles theoretically won't be as bad in the coming years. Theoretically. They're in a tough division. Um, Yeah. They're in a very tough division. So next year's certainly not going to be like a... They're not going to do what the Mariners have done this year and randomly have like 86 wins when everyone thought they were going to be like a 70-win team. No, these AL East teams are going to be petitioning to join the Central. Yeah. Hey, that would make the Central way more competitive. That it would. Um, Let's see. The last two um, milestones we got... Wayno finally notched his 2,000th strikeout. Took long enough. Uh, I think it was his only strikeout in that game uh, against the uh, Brewers, and he only went five innings and gave up five runs. It was not not a great outing for Wayno, but the Cardinals ended up getting the win still. Um, and then finally, uh, Wander Franco is back off the IL, and he is now at 41 consecutive games on base as a 20-year-old player. So he is determined to beat Frank Robinson's, I think, 43. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I guess any comments on those? Or Somehow Wander Franco has met the incredibly high expectations that were set for him. Yeah. And then some, I think. Yeah. I Well. I mean... He was never going to meet those, and somehow he's pretty much done that. Yeah, I kind of wonder if he were up earlier in the season, would we be talking about him the same way we talked about uh, Juan Soto in his nineteen or his age nineteen season? Could be, and there's definitely a chance that he can gain some more of that recognition if he uh, is part of the reason the Rays go on a run this year, kind of like a Rosarena last year for the Rays. Yeah. Well, and Rosarena's still there, and he's... He's played really a well, lot of, yeah. In a lot of people's eyes, he's the favorite for the uh, Rookie of the Year this year. So, Wander won't even get that. But do, Wander probably deserves some votes, though, because what he's doing is pretty nuts. But I don't think he's been up long enough to no. get it, right? Right, I don't think games. he's played enough games, yeah. Yeah. All right, so anything else that happened specifically this week that you guys want to talk about? All right. So uh, today's uh, main topic is actually old topics. Um, So this season has been kind of wild. There's been a lot of stuff that's gone on. We've talked about a lot of different headlines. Um, And since we're at the end of the season now, we figured this is probably the best time to look back at some of the the big storylines of the year and just kind of look back at them. Maybe we have some new... uh, perspective on some maybe it's just things that everyone forgot um so we're gonna hit you with quite a few um but i guess let's start off with young stars around the league gary you want to take us through that one yeah so we talk about these guys all the time they're the best players in the game and they're all you know super young 
and going to be doing their thing for the next decade plus, in some cases, maybe two decades, for like a Fernando Tatis. Uh, he has 40 home runs, and he's 22 years old. Um, you got Shohei Otani doing his thing as a two-way player. Vladimir Guerrero completely breaking out and becoming the player that everyone thought he was going to be when he was a super-hyped prospect. Ronald Acuna was having an amazing season before he tore his ACL, uh, looking like he could have been uh, a front-runner for the MVP. And then Juan Soto, who's quietly put together one of the most ridiculous second halves anyone's ever seen. He doesn't play for a contending team, but he's right up there with Mike Trout as being probably the best like pure hitter around the league. So I've had a ton of fun watching all these players continue to be amazing or break out to be amazing. And uh, baseball's in good hands in terms of the stars that they have. Yeah, the... The fact that we have two guys, 22 or younger, uh, with over 40 home runs, I think pretty much just sums up this class of young guys. Like, it sums it up perfectly. I mean, you got Tatis, who's 41 with 25 steals, or 41 bombs, 25 steals, a 284 average for 6.2 war. Vladdy at 46 home runs, four stolen bases, which Vladdy's a big, big dude, kind of slow, so... Pretty good. And that was a big storyline coming into the season uh, about Guerrero's uh, conditioning and how he worked so hard because he wanted to be great. And he's definitely done that. And uh, I think the only thing that maybe was holding him back was his uh, his body, maybe. Yeah, that and he, uh, he apparently adjusted his swing a little bit in the offseason, uh, similar to what you and I were talking about with Ian Happ where when he gets uh, air under the ball, he's amazing. When he's hitting it on the ground, a little less so. So he started elevating the ball a little bit more too. But yes, I 100% believe that him just getting in shape, putting in the effort in the offseason, probably just that mindset change helped him unlock his swing. So, And he's put up 6.6 war. I think he's uh, leading the entire league in war by a hitter. Um Technically, Shohei Otani has more, but that's because they add in his pitching war as well. So, I guess, Matt, what are your uh, thoughts on some of these young guys? I mean, you look back and you think back to when Trout and Harper broke into the league and how monumental that was to have those two guys and they were going to be the face of baseball for so long. And obviously, they still are, and they are all both amazing players still. But you thought two guys, and that felt like a lot. And now you're looking at baseball as a whole and how many top-of-the-line players there are. And like I said, it's just a, it's a special time to be here, and it's they're in good hands going forward. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so, I guess there's not really a great transition here from young stars that give us a lot of... Uh, a lot of hope for the future directly into sticky stuff, but that's what we're going to try and do. Uh, I hope they stick in the league a long time. There we go. Sticky stuff. Uh, yeah, so one of the other uh, kind of huge storylines from this year was the, um, I guess, the prevalence of pitchers using some kind of grip enhancer on the baseball. Um, so what was it? Maybe May? June? When MLB crackdown? 
yeah, I it, was, think it, it was, was pretty early on. It was early June yep. when that yeah. went into effect. The the checks. Oh, uh, June June fifth. June third, I think. Yeah. So early June, MLB came out and said, "All right, enough with this. We're gonna check guys' hats, gloves, belts." Uh, some. Who was it that took it far enough that they literally just pulled their pants down on live TV? Is that Sergio Romo? Yeah. Yeah. So we're checking for sticky stuff. And then in the immediate response to that, spin rates dropped uh, pretty much across the league. But you had some of these huge guys, your Garrett Cole, um, your Hugh Darvish. Uh, who else was in that big? Trevor uh, Bauer. Trevor Bauer, uh, which, oh, good. that's an entire another storyline in and of itself. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we had this huge group of elite pitchers. Spin race just fell off and they sucked for like two weeks. And then all of a sudden people started coming back. We did have, uh, one, one suspension, I think for sticky stuff, right? Who was the Hector Santiago from the Mariners? Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, but my takeaway kind of from that was that just generally as a trend across the league, we saw, um, you know, more balls in play, more offense, um, a little bit less strikeouts. So there wasn't as big of an impact as maybe some people were thinking it might cause, but I think overall it was the right thing to do to crack down. And I think it did make the impact that it was attempting to make. Yeah, um, and I guess the kind of the new stuff that's come out with that is here within the last, um, I think, week and a half, two weeks, um, MLB brought prototype balls. Uh, I think they had two different balls that were uh, pre-applied with a grip enhancement um, that they brought to Major League um, uh, pitching staffs, let them try them out in bullpen sessions, voted on which one they liked better, and then I think for the final week of the minor league season, they were giving the uh, minor leaguers those balls, the prototypes. So we'll see kind of how that goes um, and if they like it. And Major League Baseball may be coming in with their own um, legalized sticky stuff, which I think was something we were talking a long time ago about they need to, to do. Because um, yeah, maybe that gets rid of the rosin and sweat. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. The the changing the ball could be a really big storyline going forward because obviously having a tackier ball, um, other leagues like the MPB, KBO, they use like a tackier ball. So pitchers don't need to use any external substances. Um, but we don't know what other complications could arise from that. We've seen other changes that MLB has made to the ball and it's caused the, the rabbit ball from 2019 with the huge spike in home runs. So we have no clue what's going to happen and they don't seem very good at controlling their uh, manufacturing processes through Rawlings. Yeah. Did you call it rabid with a D or rabbit with two T's? Uh, either would work. I said <laughs> rabbit, but cause it just hops. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. But so yeah, but the, uh, I guess another storyline that who knows if it played into that at all, um, into that whole sticky stuff thing. It seemed like really, really early this season, 
this was going to be the year of the no-hitter. And and quite frankly, it was. Um, we've had nine no-hitters and then two non-no-hitters. Seven inning uh, no-hitters that don't go in the record books, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them, uh, of the 11, were all before the Sticky Stuff crackdown. Um, we had three, uh, if you count Mad Bum's seven inning in April, four in May, and then we've had three true no-hitters and then a seven inning no-hitter uh, by the Rays in July. So we have hit a record this year. Do you think maybe it had something to do with uh, the pre-crackdown of spider Tack and the other uh, grip enhancements? Trying to stop saying sticky stuff because it just doesn't sound legit. More okay. than a grip enhancement, it's a spin enhancer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what they were trying to crack down against. More than just a grip, a simple grip enhancement. But, yeah, I think Although it could have played They do go hand role. in hand, sort of. But, yeah. I think it very so, well could have, but it's... Not something we can probably prove at this point. Probably can't prove it, but I mean, if you just look at the no hitters, there have been three since three of the nine have occurred since that uh, crackdown came into place. So that means there were six in the first two months of the season. Like, that's crazy yeah. alone. I mean, the, well, the other part with that is though, you if you look at no hitters in most years you do typically have more early on because the ball doesn't really fly as much. It stays in the park because it's cold. It's dense air, whatever. There's a lot of environmental factors that play into that too. Um, But Cleveland wasn't playing every team in baseball. That's, that's true, but they did play three of the four of the teams. If you count Tampa's seven inning, no hitter. Uh, So Cleveland set a record this year getting no hit three times. In an unofficial fourth. I think the most a team had ever been no-hit in a season before that was two. Um, But we had three teams get no-hit twice. And Cleveland three and a half times. So, sorry, Matt, but your team sucks. And Zach Plezak was on the mound for all of them. All except the combined one, right? Yeah. Yep. Cleveland doesn't want to be average at anything. They want to do better than everyone else. I mean, someone's got to set the bad records too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Although they should have let Texas do that. To be fair, you got to go out with Texas a bang with your worst team. with your mascot <laughs> nickname. So that's a good point. It's a, a bad mascot, so we need the bad records. You set enough. That way, you set the good records with a new mascot. You set enough record bad records with this mascot, nobody will want it back. That's true. Um, I, I guess that brings up just a, another big story from this year. The Cleveland, I will not say their names, are no more next fr- or next uh, Monday, basically, because they're not making the playoffs. So this is the final week of the Cleveland they who must not be named. So next year we get the Guardians. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who's who's hyped for the Guardians? Anybody? Show of hands. Do the, do they have the website? Tra- do they have the website yet? I don't know. That's a good question. Or the trademark, or <laughs> probably not. That's probably still owned by the roller derby team. That's who it was, right? It was it a roller derby Cle- team? It's the website ClevelandGuardians.com. Still takes me to the roller derby. So, 
we'll see if uh, the Guardians ever go actually go out. No, there. <laughs> it's it's it literally comes up as uh, well. No, I guess that's probably not true yet. Well, it always comes up as MLB.com slash whatever. So I, I guess, do they technically need like Guardians.com? No, you'd think people would try and go to it. Or you think it'd be a standard practice when you're looking for a new nickname to see if you can go to that website and uh, own it just so nobody else can. That's true. And they can't go with Cleveland.com because I think that's a newspaper. I mean, Atlanta Braves act at least redirects to MLB.com slash Braves if you go to AtlantaBraves.com. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe this roller derby so, will get a new... Uh, New place to practice. Maybe. They might be the uh, more competitive team. Yeah, right. So. Uh, let's see. All right. On to the next topic. More cheating. Steroids. Um, so steroids has actually not been that big of a, a storyline this year, but there were two... Um, I would say pretty big guys that got busted. Uh, one is the guy who this podcast used to stand big time, Ramon Laureano. Uh, August 6th, came down, 80-game suspension. Um, so he suspended the rest of this season and through April of 2022. And then Robinson Cano uh, actually tested positive the end of last year. So on November 18th, they suspended him for the entirety of 2021 because I think it was 2018 he was suspended for 80 games. Yep. Does that sound right? Yeah, so Cano will be coming back next year at 39 years old, and he has two more years on his contract with the Mets. So that'll be well, interesting to see how that plays out. We'll see if he comes back on the Mets. Yeah, but what's what's the Mets' um, uh, share of those like how much do the Mets have to pay? Twenty million, twenty million and two hundred fifty thousand each year. Ooh. Yeah. So we'll see if uh, Cohen just buys that out with uh, with as many uh, things as he's got on his plate to deal with. I kind of think Cano might be the last thing he wants on his plate. At this rate, though, let Cano get suspended again in twenty twenty three and save that money. That's, that's his true. pace is about ready for that. Yeah. So, I guess, Matthew, you want to break down a little bit of what's happened with the Mets this year? A little bit? <laughs> yeah, just briefly that list of 8 million things. Yeah, sure. So, start with the good and the unfortunate and Jacob DeGrom, who is having one of the best years we've ever seen in baseball by a pitcher uh through his 15 games he had a 108 era and a 123 123 fip with almost 150 strikeouts a 90 in just 92 innings i mean he was just on an absolute tear before his his elbow was it his elbow right shoulder he yeah it's elbow, elbow i yeah. think um yeah apparently his most recent he he had multiple injuries over the course of the season, but the most recent one was his UCL, I guess, got uh, Spring, partially right? damaged, but then it healed itself, which I didn't know was, like, really a thing. So that seems very precarious going forward, so I wouldn't be too shocked to see that uh, 
crop back up again, but he was having a Bob Gibson like run there in the in the early going, and it was must watch every time he went out there because you knew he was gonna like dominate, and he was hitting like a beast too. That was that was well, fun uh, too. Yeah, well, he was both the offense and the defense of that team. I mean, he. He was hitting over 200, I think, for the year. Um, and then the Mets were not backing him up. I think they were averaging like one or two runs per start of his, and he would only give up maybe one or two, most likely one. But um, yeah, but the Mets led the division for 103 days this season, the first 103 days, um, pretty much because of what Jacob deGrom did. And then he got hurt. And then a couple other things had happened, and then they've managed to collapse without him. And after leading the division for 103 days, we'll finish the season under 500. It is not mathematically possible for them to get back up to 500. It's the first time that has ever happened. Yep. So, yeah, they've had all kinds of issues on the field. As you mentioned, their issues with offense, they fired their hitting coach, Chili Davis, early on in the season. No one knows if manager uh, Luis Rojas is going to be back. Uh, I really can't see a way that he keeps his job. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then the bad I mean, stuff, he, too. It's like, yeah, they they were down Cindergard and DeGrom, but they weren't hitting well either. They really haven't pitched terribly well outside of those two. Tawan Walker started out really good. Stroman's always going to be Stroman. But the bullpen was not great. I don't know. It's doesn't help when you have an owner calling out your own team from Twitter. Yeah, that's also true. But yeah, but the so they went and traded for Javi Baez after early in the offseason signing Frank or uh, trading for Frankie Lindor. So they got these two amazing guys in the middle of their uh, infield, and then. The team was underperforming for the first, what, maybe week and a half, two weeks of Javi Baez's tenure, and the team came up with the uh, thumbs-down celebration to get back at, or when they did something good to get back at the fans for booing them when they did something bad. So, and then after that, Javi's been, I think, low-key amazing, hasn't he? Yeah, he's definitely... That definitely was not a bad trade for the Mets, but nothing else really worked out, so it didn't really make that much of a difference. Yeah, but then during that is when Cohen was tweeting that Javi needs to... Oh, shoot, what did he say? Do you remember? It was like he he basically subtweeted Javi. No, he basically subtweeted um, himself. He was like, who's saying that this Baez guy is bad, but he was the one like criticizing... Well, them for before having that, bad. he subtweeted Javi and then subtweeted himself. Oh, yeah. yeah, he probably needs to have a timeout from Twitter for a bit. Forever, oh, yeah, he forever said, probably. Uh, he, Where are the Twitter experts complaining about bias, he also said. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Twitter experts complaining about bias. Well, dude, you probably need to cancel your Twitter. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, but they, they've not only been in trouble for things that they've done poorly on the field and for things that Steve Cohen has said on his Twitter, but they've been having a really, really rough time with culture in the building too. I mean, uh, you guys know, 
Mickey Calloway and Zach Porter better than I do because he was with both of your clubs. But, but yeah. like, Mickey Calloway was the old manager, mm-hmm. and he got fired, but then was he brought back or something? No, he, he was in the front office? He was office? with the uh, Angels as their pitching coach briefly there. Yep. Okay, right. But, yeah, so Mickey Calloway got in trouble with the Angels, uh, or, well, while he was with the Angels, got in trouble for stuff he did with the Mets. Yeah. Uh, where I believe he was sexually harassing quite a few different women in the workplace. Um, He was put on temporary leave, investigated, suspended. And then Jared Porter? I think it was all around the same time, wasn't it? Yeah, so then then Porter was brought in uh, as the the GM to begin this season, um, and he got in trouble for some uh, explicit text messages that he was sending uh, during his time with the Cubs back in 2016. So he got uh, so, fired and suspended for, I think, through the 2022 season. Mm-hmm. So yeah. really bad start for the Cohen era in terms of the, the hires well, that he made, not even to mention forgetting. the guy that replaced <laughs> Porter, Zach Scott, who took on the interim position as the GM. Um, arrested for a DUI and then got put on administrative leave by the Mets here in the last few months. Um, so it seemed unlikely that he would be the guy having the job going forward. We've talked about this a lot off air. The one guy that has always been in place and was part of all these hires, of uh, Porter, of Callaway, of uh, Zach Scott, and that's uh, Sandy Alderson, um, who came back um, to help the transition, I guess, he's a really like uh, veteran executive, and he's had a lot of success, I guess, with the Mets. And he he just doesn't seem like he should be the one doing that when he's had so many questionable hires. Like he is part of the problem there. Mets need a culture shift. Yeah. And at some point, you can't do a culture shift while you keep the same culture in place. Yeah. They yeah. need a clean break. Yeah, and um, the the manager, like the the field manager, is not the problem. He's a, he's a different problem, but he's likely gone. But they they need to they need to cut ties with Alderson. They need to start from scratch. Um, there's been rumors floating around that maybe the Mets want Theo to come back. Theo Epstein, uh, Epstein, 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 Epstein. Um, there's been other rumors that maybe they're going to try and trade for Billy Bean and Bob Melvin, uh, and get both a manager and a GM from the athletics because, uh, they've both worked with Sandy Alderson before, um, and they might be able to do it and change the culture, but I, I kind of think they need to just cut ties with everybody and start from scratch. Maybe you cut Alderson and still bring in a Billy Bean and Bob Melvin, who knows, but Hell, got Cohen change. might offer to pay for a new A stadium if he can get those two. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Man has enough uh, money for it, but who knows where their stadium's going to be, though? Yeah. Like, are they staying in Oakland? They say they want to. The fan base in Oakland is fantastic. Like, it would be a good a good thing for them and for Major League Baseball for them to stay. But the city seems to not like their stadium proposal because it's got a lot of issues 
Yeah. Like so that negotiation not going well at all. Recently, in the last few days, uh, Dave Caval, he's like uh, president with the A's, has announced that they will be announcing five potential locations for the stadium in Vegas. So it seems very likely. It almost seems inevitable that this is going to happen and they're going to move to Vegas unless they can really just pull out some kind of deal with Oakland. Um, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Vegas is still my last choice out of the five potential cities that Major League Baseball has. Vegas is my last choice. Just, I mean, to me, it doesn't feel like it's going to be that dedicated of a baseball fan base. They've done well with hockey so far. But then also, you got to build a stadium that it's going to be a permanent dome as hot as it is in Vegas during the entire season. The AC is going to be expensive. Is it? They're probably going to try and publicly fund it. Unless they try and split it with UNLV, but that's not going to work. I mean, the thing with Vegas, though, is you almost don't need a fan base. As weird and as bad as that sounds, the number of travelers you're going to have in there day in and day out, you're going to bring in fans from everywhere. And they're just going to go, you're going to be there, they're just, let's, let's go to a baseball game. Or they're going to make it a trip to say, I'm going to go watch the Cubs or the Cardinals in Vegas. Let's go to a game and then spend time in Vegas. Yeah, See, I think that's, that's okay a good for the point. City. That, that's it's good, good for from a city. tourism perspective, but from like a season ticket holder's perspective, I don't know season ticket, what the, yeah. what the well, like well, demand for that would be. Season tickets, and even just from a home field advantage, there's none at that point. Yep. Like, if you don't have a big enough fan base to sell more than half the seats arguably the road, to your fans, Arguably the road team may have a bigger advantage. Yeah, and that would be bad for the franchise itself. So it just doesn't make sense to me. But you have places like Portland, like Charlotte, like uh, Nashville, Montreal, uh, and even New Orleans maybe that would be really good from just having your own homegrown fan base. And then you would get a lot of tourism there as well because those are pretty good cities um, to travel to. So, But I don't know. So... I don't like the idea of Vegas necessarily, but we did a full episode on that back in, let's see, that was episode, was it 13, I think? 14, the Oakland Stadium Saga. So if you want more information on that, go check out episode 14. Um, but those other cities uh, bring up the next topic. Uh, the Rays have announced for the second year in a row maybe third year, I don't remember at this point, that they're going to look at splitting their home games 50-50 between Tampa Bay and Montreal. What do you guys think of that? It's fine. I just don't... Like, they can say that all they want. I just don't see how you can actually do that. At some point, they're just bluffing to, as much as they can to get out of the city or to get the city to actually care about them and... If you're going to do this, just move to Montreal. Yeah. They'll care more about you. But I can't imagine them saying, it's going to take a year. When you go, when you leave, and when you do this in one year, Tampa Bay fans are going to be either upset or boycotting or whatever, and they're not going to go to any games. Montreal is going to flood the stadiums every game, and then they're going to say, you know what, next year, let's do it all in Montreal. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, At I which do, point they... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I do think that once uh, the, the new CBA and everything gets settled, the next thing that is going to be on the table is the expansion, and we are going to see Nashville get a team and uh, maybe Portland or Charlotte get another team. That expansion's happening sooner than later, I think. And Yeah, but I think they're not going to do that until they've figured out these two yeah, stadiums. Manfred's right, already right. said that, so... He's going to, once the CBA is so. done, like you said, he's going to push for, there's going to be some resolution in Oakland and Tampa sooner than later. So. Well, and, and I think Oakland basically is resolved at this point. Um, Cause I mean, hell it was like the day I think, or the day after the, the city meeting about the stadium back in July that I think uh, Manfred came out and said that they were publicly telling the A's to start looking at other cities. Mm-hmm. And then they said that we're going to visit Tampa or we're going to visit um, Vegas first. And then they never mentioned visiting any other city. Now they've got five stadium proposals yeah. or location proposals, at least. But seems like that one's settled. We'll see with the Rays. I do think the Rays will move to Montreal when it's all said and done. But the fan base in Tampa is actually turns out pretty stout they uh they can sell out games they uh just did this week so it's just the location of the stadium is actually absolute crap so it makes it almost impossible to get from tampa to st pete so there's a lot of issues there a better location could drive up fan attendance so they should stay and give montreal an expansion in my opinion but they're not gonna so, so Gary, I guess while we're talking about the Rays, you want to talk about the Rays and not the Rays Stadium? Yeah, I love talking about the Rays. So the Rays are just doing Rays stuff again, and they have the best record in the American League. They've kind of just coasted through this season. They haven't really had too many issues. Um, they seem like they call up a new pitcher that's uh, throwing 98 um, and getting people out in the bullpen, starting pitchers, bring up like Shane McClanahan. Uh, they just brought up Shane Boz recently. Uh, they had Luis Patino from the Snell trade. So as a Cubs fan, I'm super envious because they seem like they can just grow starting pitchers while the Cubs have not developed a real starting pitcher that could be considered a frontline guy in a decade plus. Um, so they've got a strong pipeline. They've got the best farm system in the league. Um, and that's after Wander and um, uh, the the other shortstop, not Vidal Bruhan, the other one. Oh, Walls. Yeah, and Taylor Walls. So Walls and Wander and Shane McClanahan all graduated from prospect status, and they still have the number one. Yeah, yeah. So they have an eye for developing talent, and they develop their players very well. So. Um, yeah, they're a good team to watch just in general, and they're going to probably do well in the playoffs. Yeah. After being in the World Series last year and being in the ALCS the year before? Does that sound right? Uh, that sounds right. I, I don't know for sure, but yeah. Yeah. We have another cat appearance. Same cat. Well, the yep. second appearance of same cat. 
He's um, ready to give his opinions. All right, so what does Abbott think about the San Francisco Giants? He just is still surprised about what they're doing. <laughs> Tells me every day. He's a big Giants fan. Um, does, he, does he know who's on first? All he knows is what's on second. I don't know. Third base. Um, no, but Giants came out of nowhere. And would it have surprised anyone at the start of the season if you said the Giants are a playoff? We're going to make the playoffs? Some would, yes. I would have been speculative, but I wouldn't have been over the moon shocked if they made the playoffs in the NL. If you told me the Giants had the best record in the NL on September 27th and have won 102 games, that I never would have believed in a million years. But that is where we are right now. And it's just, they keep finding ways to win, even though, by all accounts of looking at them, they shouldn't be winning. Or at least winning to this extent. Now, Yeah, and the example I want to bring up for the Giants... I'm obsessed with this guy now, but it's Darren Ruff. He's 35 years old. Um, he's having a, almost a three-war season. He has played super well. He has a 400 OB, near a 400 OBP this season. Um, yet he barely plays against right-handed um, pitchers because they just have such a, a depth of options. So they can just specifically put him in the best position because he is slightly better against left-handed pitchers. I just put him out there, rest his 35-year-old body on the other days. He's primed to go, and he, he just goes out there, and he, he's a beast. And uh, that's like the kind of players that the Giants have just collected from everywhere. Uh, Ruff played in Korea. They bring in random guys like Lamont Wade Jr., Alex Dickerson, Mike Yastrzemski, and these guys all contribute even though they're not – hyped up stars and they're not you know true prospects they're just guys right in their primes and they all work together along with the stars that they already had in place who are all having amazing seasons and they still have three holdovers from the even year bs teams um and crawford and belt and posey and all three of those guys are having a late career resurgence i mean i say late career crawford's what 33 34 i think 34 posey is 34 maybe just turned 35 still i can't 34. remember still 34 brandon belt is he's 33 I think. 37 33. oh he's the youngest actually i thought uh, i just got i, I just saw this on my phone that brandon belt actually fractured his thumb so that could be a really big Ooh. blow for them Ooh. yeah that's not good his glove hand or his throwing hand? Left thumb. I don't know. Left thumb. Left thumb. He's is shoot. Is he left-handed or right-handed? Yeah, he's left-handed. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't need to throw. He's first baseman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'll be fine. Swing the um, bat one-handed, right? Yeah, but no, I think that's the the oldest team in the majors too, isn't it? Like, so. Yeah, this Giants team, the oldest team in the majors, uh, starting rotation that if you told me before the uh, year started they were even going to be in the playoffs, I would have thought that they had like traded away like half their guys, brought in a lot younger guys, and were mashing. I that, would not have guessed that their rotation was going to be somewhat solid and keep them in games. You would have guessed. And they completely built that rotation 
um, over the offseason. They brought in all new starters. So they brought in Desclafani. They brought back Kevin Gosman. The only guy that was still there was Johnny Cueto, um, Alex Wood. So just a whole bunch of guys that are not stars, but the Giants get the most out of them. Yeah. It's pretty much the way to sum up this entire season for them. Yep, pretty much. And then on the flip side, the team that I 100% thought was going to be in the playoffs from that division instead of the Giants was the San Diego Padres. And they started out pretty good. Not, I don't think they started out quite where everyone thought they would be. They've pretty much been third in the division the whole season. Um, but then the second half for really just since August, they have collapsed a monumental collapse. And they went from being everybody's hero that everyone wants them to win the world series to all of a sudden they're already out of it. Uh, they've been out of it for what, three or four days. So they should have been the last team out if they were going to miss it all. Um, but I think they have the worst record in the majors in August and September, I believe. At like 10 and, I guess it'd be middle of August. At like 10 and 20 something or 10 and 30. Um, but, yeah, I guess, what what caused that collapse? Um, was it their, their starting pitching just disappearing to injury? Is that the main thing? Starting pitching as a whole just has never been there really for them this year. And I mean, name one time that they had their entire starting five that they put together in the offseason of, uh, let's see, so it was Darvish, Snell, Clevenger, um, Paddock, and Musgrove was their starting five. Yeah, well, they knew. Name a time. They knew, that, Clev- they knew Clevenger was Yeah, up. he had Tommy John last that, that, year. That's true. All right, so they had those four, and, and then, then I guess Denelson it would have been was like injured, injured at the beginning of the year. So not even then, yeah. really. So have they had even one time through the rotation that their five guys they thought were going to be there at the beginning of the year were healthy? Maybe that first turn, but that's yeah. probably it. Yeah. So so I kind of, that was probably their biggest thing is they just they couldn't they couldn't prevent runs because the pitching wasn't there. They've been putting in guys like Vince Velasquez, Jake Arrieta. Uh, who else did they try out this year? They've used you some remember? younger guys that haven't really panned out too well. Like uh, Case, Ryan Weathers. Uh, Ryan Weathers, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they already are kind of showing signs that they want to kind of overhaul their player development because they let go of, I think, one of their scouting guys. Yeah, I think their director of scouting is out. Did they let go of somebody um, else too? Scouting? I think so, yeah. So AJ Preller is uh, going to be there for a long time because he signed his own extension, but everyone below him may be looking for new jobs coming shortly. Yeah, and Jace Tingler is probably the, the next guy on the block. Could be, yeah. Is my guess, but... Which, uh, they're probably going to... Well, maybe the guy that Tatis doesn't like that Machado does. The... the is he a bench coach or third base coach or... Yeah. That guy? He might be the next one, but then it's going to be Tingler. Right. Um, 
surely they go with someone who's got more um more experience with for the next guy right with that team tingler. yeah because the the last two hires that preller has made andy green and and now tingler he's kind of gotten knocked a little bit for not picking a more experienced manager and i think they should probably try that route it'll be interesting because yeah. tingler's entering his lame duck year so he only got a... yeah, i don't think he's gonna yeah. be back so yeah, he has to get an extension loose. essentially yeah mm-hmm. so but i guess who's Who's actually available after this year? Do, do we have any idea as far as which veteran managers are going to be Bruce available? Bruce Bochy, bring him back. Yeah, try it. Woody, does he want to come back? I don't know. That's a different question. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I guess uh, we'll, we'll transition here to other teams that have kind of collapsed and are tearing it down. Um we got Gowie's uh, Cubbies coming into the season, still had the core four, started out at the, I believe it was July 27th. They were at 50 and 51, still in the hunt technically, but then I'll let you take that one away. Yeah, then they they got rid of uh, their, their guys from the championship team and uh, Baez, Bryant, Rizzo. Uh, Trading them out to contending teams, and also traded um, Craig Kimbrell. So they they added a lot to their farm system. It's going to be interesting to see what they do because now they have a ton of uh, financial flexibility because they only have about 70 to 80 million on the books for 2022. So definitely can see them going in a lot of different ways to to get back to contention, but. I really have no idea if they're planning on being in contention in 2022 or if it's more of a long-term plan, which I really hope it is not. Yeah, so something that I actually read this morning that I thought was a little bit telling was, um, so around the time of the trade deadline, um, I guess this was after him reflecting on the trade deadline, but Jed Hoyer was talking to uh, the athletic, the main Cubs athletic writer. Yeah, they Do you have know his name? Uh, what are their names? Patrick Moven, you, Mooney. No, the other one. Sahadev Sharma. Yeah, him. Yeah. Um, so uh, he was interviewing Jed Hoyer, and uh, Jed was talking about basically why the Cubs did what they did and selling off the guys, even though they were like half a game behind the Cardinals at the time, who we've seen what the Cardinals did, and the Cubs had arguably the better team. Um, I don't even think it's arguable. I think the Cubs on paper had the better team. But he said basically it came down to we're losing all these guys at the end of the year. The Cardinals have a whole bunch of guys signed long-term that are still in their primes. So we're both trending kind of in different directions contractually. And then neither team had really any reason to believe that they could reasonably make the playoffs at that point. Um, Like they weren't that far out, but they were not – that great they weren't performing well up until the uh trade deadline so he's like so we made the decision after like four consecutive years of buying at the deadline to try and compete he's like we decided we needed to get our return so but it does seem like he thinks that there's other teams in the division that are kind of competing now so that might be telling as to what the next two years looks like 
I think it's just a hundred percent on what the what the budget is because I I just can't see the Cubs you know only spending a hundred million on payroll that makes no sense. Um, yeah. So at the minimum, I would see them doubling it or maybe one hundred and sixty one hundred fifty million. Yeah, I I see them competing. Basically, they'll put in as much money as the Cardinals put in, and I don't think they'll put in any more for next year. Because after next year, unless they re-up him, Contreras is off the books, right? Mm-hmm. And then when is Hayward off the books? Uh, another year after that. The year after that? So, like, in these next two years, they're starting to open up even more flexibility. Granted, they should probably bring Contreras back. Yeah. That... I'm not sure P.J. Higgins is the future of that franchise at catcher. Yeah, they that needs to be a priority, and... I don't know. It's going to be an interesting offseason for the Cubs. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, And then the Nats tore it down finally. Yep. After Mike Rizzo trying to compete every single year since Scherzer got to town, I think he finally saw the writing on the wall for that club. But, so let's see. So what, what, did, what did they do to tear it down, though? They... Traded away Scherzer and Trey, right? Did they? What else did they do? Uh, they made a minor. Uh, they traded a lot of the like secondary pieces, like uh, Schwarber to the Red Sox. They traded yeah. uh, Josh Harrison, Lester, Lester, Lester Don- to the Cardinals. Yeah, Lester to the Cardinals. Gomes, Josh Harrison, and Gomes to the A's. Yep. So they traded basically all their expiring contracts, which was kind of the right thing to do. Obviously, the Turner and uh, Scherzer trade is going to be. Uh, discussed a lot because those prospects they got back in Josiah Gray and Kyber Ruiz need to be really good to to live up to what they gave gave up. Yeah, I I do think the ceiling is is potentially maybe not Josiah Gray to Scherzer levels, but I do think the ceiling on those two guys is pretty high. And as of right now, they're showing that they could be pretty good in the the short term. Um, cause I think here in the second half of the season, they've both been pretty good. Kbert, I think is it up to like 10 or 11 home runs, isn't he? Uh, or is it not uh, that high? It might not two be that high. He has played 18 games for Washington and has two home runs this year. Oh, is that it? How many does he have on the whole Three. season? Oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> I, don't listen to me. Other, Everything I say is Kaber probably Ruiz. wrong. Oh, no, but yeah. he, he's actually played pretty well in the recent weeks. I know that. Kabert from the Rays. That's who I'm thinking. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they do now because uh, the way that the NL East is going right now, I think if you pony up some money, you could potentially buy your way into second or third place pretty easily. I mean, Juan Soto about guarantees you won't get last alone. Yeah. Although they're they're close to last right now. Are they not in last? But I I think they're they're competing for fourth place. They are a half game ahead. Oh no, they are a half game behind Miami. Sorry. No, but yeah, that's a good point. There is definitely opportunity for them to compete there because there's no like clear favorite, I guess, heading into next year and we don't really know what's going to happen with the Braves with uh, Freddie Freeman potentially 
being a free agent and leaving, but I don't and a, think that's going to happen. Acuna will be out for a bit too, anyway, as he continues and to yeah, recover. Yeah, that too. Yeah, forgot. I assumed he was back at the beginning of the year. I forgot he was going to be out until like into the first quarter, probably. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, let's see. Any other teams tearing it down, or should we just kind of? talk a little bit about some of the teams that are hopefully on the rise here uh yeah we can talk about some bad teams around the league there are still quite a few of them all right you want to lead us into that we'll uh we'll go in the order you decide yeah so we just hit on the teams quickly i guess so some teams have more hope than others the uh, i mean we kind of talked about in the orioles already you saw some hope there I, yeah, I was going to say, you want to just play a game of hope or no hope and then like one sentence on each? Yeah, sure. All right, All right. Orioles. You gave them hope. I say no hope. I give them hope-ish. Hope-ish. That's, Ho- not, hope-ish. that's not very strong. That's not very confident. No, not at all. Matthew, Matthew? no hope. <laughs> you sound so I, I, I do I do think, no I do think what, I, what I was saying, though, about um, guys like Cedric Mullins breaking out, I, I kind of think he's going to sustain this. This is what Cedric Mullins was supposed to be back in 2019 when he debuted. He didn't do it. Now he's finally starting to find his stride. He's kind of just changed his swing, and gave he just is hitting. playing with confidence. Yep. Yeah, he gave up switch hitting. Um, you got Mount Castle, who is a potential rookie of the year. Probably not. He's probably going to lose it to Rosarena. Um, Santander is a good young player. Um and then you've got uh, guys in the minors. Um, your uh, Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman should be up hopefully by the end of next year. Um, so that core is good. It's what can they do around that core. So that's my hope-ish, because I don't trust them to build something around the core, but I like the core. Okay, uh, Pirates. No hope. No hope. No hope. Okay, yeah. They're they're picking in the top five for the second year in a row. Yeah, third 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 year in a row. Yeah, probably. It's been bad since they last made the playoffs about six years ago now. So. Yeah. Uh, how about the Rangers? No hope. Yeah. They got Jack Leiter. They need to get some more to prove it to me that they have something in the future. Yeah. Um. I think the Rangers could potentially be interesting if they go out and try to spend this offseason, which I think they can do. They don't. They have a very low payroll for next year. They got some good building blocks in there. They just need to surround them with the rest yeah, of a team, a comparable, comp, competent team versus a bunch of no names. Yeah, kind of the the way that I describe them right now is. Um, kind of the leftovers from about eight different Lego sets that you have no instructions as to what they're supposed to be. They're all useful pieces, but until you know what the heck you're building, it's kind of pointless. So. Uh, How about the Tigers? I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. Matthew, we'll go with you first. Man, I don't know how they do it. I really want to say hope, like no hope, but they have some good people there, so I'm going to give them some hope. 100% hope that that rotation is going to be 
That's... Amazing. I, I think at this point, Tarek Skubal might actually be the better pitcher than Casey Mize. Um, but there's a lot of hope in that rotation. Uh, Matthew Boyd is still going to be there. I hate Matthew Boyd personally, not, not on a personal level, but as a baseball player, I personally hate him. Um, just want to make that clear. Just because he has the same first he name. Just makes me, he just makes me mad is really all it is. Um, just he's good when I think he sucks and he sucks when I think he's good. And I just, I'm never right with him. So it makes me, it makes me mad. But then they've got, uh, what Riley green, Spencer Torkelson. Um, they've got, uh, guys like, um, uh, Isaac Paredes, uh, who came over from the Cubs uh, a couple years ago in the jammer trade. I mean, yeah, but those both pieces went to the, uh, tigers there. Yeah. Oh, right. Who'd you guys get back? Uh, Justin Wilson and Alex uh, Avila. Oh. 17. Gross. Tigers won that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, they have those top-tier prospects. They have some guys that have done pretty well in Akil Badu. And uh, who else has done well for them this year? Young guys. Uh, Eric Haas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, And then they've got guys who still very much have potential. They haven't really popped off yet, but Willie Castro could end up being a pretty S- decent stop, piece. He's not going to be a superstar. Stop naming former Indians. <laughs> Sorry. Dude, if I name former Indian shortstops, that shouldn't really hurt your feelings. They're all former <laughs> Indian shortstops. Yeah. But, yeah, I, don't, I could talk about the Tigers for an entire Okay, one more day, here. So. Uh, Diamondbacks. No, none. Corbin Carroll's the only like good thing I know that they have coming. Mm-hmm. No hope. Yeah, that division's uh, very challenging. So similar well, to the and, Orioles, mm-hmm. it's like the, how are they going to pass these teams? Yeah. And then, kind of final thoughts, and then we'll wrap it up here for the day. But uh, um, these are probably both hope. So I guess I'll ask you the biggest reason for hope on these two teams. Um, I'll ask Matthew, or I'll ask Gowie the first one and Matthew the second one. Uh, Gowie the uh, Royals, because I know Matthew doesn't want to say that there's good things for them. So, um, I am concerned for the Royals because I would have thought that some of the pitchers that they drafted with their first round picks, uh, they've spent a lot of draft capital on on college pitchers and none of those guys have really um achieved anything close to what they were supposed to be which is understandable for being really young pitchers but you would have think there would have been more positive signs to take from the brady singers and the jackson coars and the uh, daniel lynch Daniel and, lynch uh and, carlos Her- carlos hernandez has actually been a bright spot though yeah and he's not even on their level because he was not a first round pick like the other ones were so, Valid point. Uh, Chris Bubich, I think, was the other one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I did say reason for hope, though, not oh, not reason for concern. Oops. That just came out. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, the reason for hope is uh, absolutely Bobby Witt Jr., who has been one of the best minor league players uh, at AA and AAA, and he is surely going to be with the club early on next season. Um, and I w- I'm very curious to see how they align their infield with Nicky Lopez, who's broken out this year, 
Adalberto Mondesi, who still um, has all the tools to be a great player, and then Witt. So that's going to be a fun yeah, and then, core to have. And then they've got Carlos Santana. And, O'Her- and uh, Carlos Santana is probably the one guy that I think will slot into the, the starting lineup somewhere. But they, they've got an interesting uh, interesting thing there. And with Whit Merrifield also technically being a second baseman, it'll be fun. Um, but, yeah, just uh, Bobby Witt Jr. just uh, – in triple a this year is so he's he's pretty much got identical stats and identical time at both double a and triple a so but at triple a he has uh 17 home runs a 295 average and a 151 wrc plus uh nine percent walk percentage there and only a 22 percent k percentage so he's been performing at that same level the entire year in the minors and in uh, spring training, there was a lot of people that thought that he could actually debut incredibly early this year, if not be on the opening day rotation. Or uh, not rotation, opening day lineup. Um, and then Matthew, reason for hope. Not, hope. not reason for why they're not good? Yeah, reason for hope for the Mariners. Oh, they don't need a reason for it. You're seeing it. I mean fact that they're 15 games over 500 in a year where they were supposed to just scrape by is incredible I mean, we were at that game and the fans enthusiasm was great i mean you look at kelnick hasn't been what he's expected to be but he's still a rookie and you have tons of time there yeah. to left to build it up i not to yeah and it was what a wednesday afternoon and they still had 15,000 fans there like for a team that wasn't really great at the time and, I mean, they were okay, but they were just kind of floating around 500. Yeah, I mean, and then you look at the rest of that roster with Hanniger, Crawford. I mean, you could argue that they have a couple extra spots. I mean, Jake Bowers isn't starting, so they obviously have a good enough uh, depth chart there that he <laughs> that they don't need to play him like the Indians felt they needed to. Um Toro, I don't know. I don't remember recently if he's been on that same level of tear, but another young guy. No, nah, he's been he's been slumping. I mean, they just have but. such young players. My alarm needs to stop going off. Um, they just have such a young roster that's doing so well, and they're paired very well with the veterans that they have to make to not let the young guys get overwhelmed. Not to mention, yeah, I mean, a lot of their depth or their prospects aren't projected for the next couple years i think they have two guys that are expected for next year um but uh george kirby and julio rodriguez should be up next rodriguez next year rodriguez is the one and then they're saying emerson hancock uh emerson before george kirby oh kirby was this year sorry they projected 2021 i forgot oh yeah he's not yeah, no. yet, so those so. three actually are all top uh math's hard four prospects in the mariner system so yeah. that's going to add a lot yeah, i mean their, so. their outfield is going to be crazy if kelnick performs up to the level he should and if kyle kelnick, lewis can come back, kelnick yeah. kyle lewis if they keep hanniger but i don't know if they will right forgot about but. kyle lewis and then they still have guys like fraley that could end up breaking out finally and being what they thought they would be. Mm-hmm. So it should be interesting. I do think they're overperforming themselves a little bit this year, 
I wouldn't expect him to go and be a 90-win team next year, but the year after that, we could potentially be talking a 90-win, 95-win team if everyone is starting to come up and break out at the le- or the rate that they're expected to. Mariners getting the experience this year. I mean, that's huge for young t- a young team. And a Jerry DePoto team is finally doing well. He might go sub 100 moves this offseason. Maybe. Or he'll trade all of them yeah, away. Right? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I mean, we, we know he's not afraid to make an unpopular decision, right? When he traded Graveman yep. in the middle of the season, they got Toro back. So that one kind of worked out for them because Toro looks like he can be a player that's going to make an impact for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they went out and got Diego Castillo, who I think is a pretty decent replacement for Kendall Graveman. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, cool. Um, that is all we have time for tonight. So thank you everybody uh, for tuning in and listening to us. Um, audio versions of this podcast, as always, are going to be posted to um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, we will have the um, video version up on YouTube. Um, if you like our content, uh, please, uh, subscribe, uh, wherever you listen to us or see us. Um, that way you get notifications when we post new content on YouTube. We occasionally post card opening videos. I have some cards that should be showing up soon. So look out for that. Um, we do have Facebook and Twitter at getaway day pod on both of those, uh, platforms that we use and, uh, try and tweet or post throughout the week. Um, I did actually do my first uh, emergency pod direct to social media this week, so I kind of liked that, so we might try that again. Um, Yeah, and uh, if uh, wherever you listen to us allows reviews, please uh, give us a a review and let us know how you you like the podcast, um, or just reach out directly to us through social media. So that is all we've got for you tonight. Thank you very much.